our text this morning as we continue through Romans 9 is uh, Romans 19 through 26. Romans 9, 19 through 26. And, you know, as we continue through this chapter, you know, this really is such a rich and wonderful section of Scripture, isn't it? You know, as, as I spend more time reading this and studying this, I find myself having to go back and just seeing how Paul has is building more and more and, and, and using the Old Testament and seeing that unity. And sometimes some other folks spend as much time studying and reading the Old Testament lately as I have the New Testament, as Paul, is, as Jack called it, this commentary on, on so much of the Old Testament. You know, Paul is building this, this wonderful, strong foundation as he's knitting a lot of these passages together from Genesis and Exodus and, and this morning from Hosea, as he knits them all together. And, you know, the analogy that you hear a lot is as if it's called a tapestry. But um, I think that, that in this case, a better picture would be one of a net. That Here's Paul knitting this net that's big enough and strong enough to give us hope and insurance in the midst of very difficult times and very difficult situations. So as we continue to read through Romans 9 and, uh, and, and, and study on this passage, may we find hope and encouragement this morning. Romans 9, 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? That is God. Why does God still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very same place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. As we continue through Romans, I think it's, it's really helpful every once in a while to, to go back and to put this book in the context and to kind of pull all this together. This is not, you know, we have, I think it happens so often. We, we have a tendency to look at the Bible as just passages and, sex and segments, you know, because that's how we a lot of times study it and read it. It's just passages and segments. And see it as, as a whole movement, as a whole book. And, you know, so, so we, as we look at this book in context and, and where this is, has gotten us, you know, we've seen that, uh, you know, as we said from the very beginning, Romans is about the gospel. That is the, the focus of Romans. Romans is about the gospel. And, you know, we hear this term a lot. But we will never think about this and consider it too much. That, that this is what the book is about. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That this is what Paul is, is talking about. And, and, and the gospel is what we use to encourage one another and how we are encouraged. Romans 1, 11, 12. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, 
to strengthen you, to encourage you, to build you up. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. The spiritual gift is the gospel. In verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You know, as we mentioned Sunday school, we we need this daily to be encouraged by the gospel, by the truth of what God has done. We need this constantly in our power, in our life. And we saw that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Verse 16. As I said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we said, as we went through this way back when, it is important for us to understand that salvation is not just getting to heaven. Salvation is not just not going to hell. That, that when Paul uses that idea of salvation, he's not just talking about being, being saved from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin and even the very presence of sin. That that salvation is from all those things. And, and so that so that we have to understand that when, when this gospel, this power of God, is that rescuing from sin. And Paul said in chapter 1, we also need to understand what sin is. And, that's, and we see that over and over. What, what, you know, what is sin? What does it mean to sin? And we saw in chapter 1 that sin was the failure to give God the glory He deserves. Sin is not seeing God as glorious, not seeing God as holy. Verse 23 in chapter 1, And we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creepy things. So this this was sin. Sin was was taking the glory that's due God. Sin is is that glory that that we see in God and we, we attribute to Mortal men and, we, and the creeping things and things that are created, that's sin. That's what sin is. And, and, and then the outgrowth of that sin is all the things we do. All these things that we do is the outgrowth of that one sin. And the penalty of this was, given, was to be given over to greater and greater sin. And you see that so often. You see it when, when someone fails to give God the glory he deserves, when someone fails to recognize God as God, when someone fails to to, to acknowledge God as God, you see this deepening of sin, this this depravity as it continues and goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And and as, as he said in verse 25, the way we fail to see God as glorious is we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That this is what this is what it meant to sin. This is what it meant to sin. It was not seeing God as glorious. And to worship the, the, the creature rather than the creator. And as I said in verse 28, and not seeing fit to acknowledge God as God. And man, in his natural state, does this every single time we have a choice, a chance. Not just occasionally. It's not like we just, we just get it wrong every once in a while and we sin every once in a while. No, we found that in chapter 2 and 3 that we all do it all the time, every time. Our natural state is to always take the glory that's due for God 
and give it to something else. That's our natural, that's who we are, that's who we are in our natural state. And not just, not just people that are lost in the world, but even us, even the believers. As we saw in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And no one does good, not even one. Every time we sin, every time we take God's glory, we, we fail to see God as glorious, and we give that glory to, the, to, to something other than God. And we find out in Romans 3.22 that this includes us. We know, that the, we know from Romans 3.22 the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all, the all, for all who believed have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We who believed are declared righteous and just or justified as a gift through the redemption that is in, in, in Christ Jesus. Not, not because we, 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 we are, are glorious or holy. We, we're not. We sin. That verse, Romans 3.23, he's talking about believers. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and failed to give God the glory He deserves. And we do it every time in our natural state. And we're justified. We're declared righteous as a gift from God. And in this, in this we exchanged our federal headship that had been under Adam. We had been under Adam's, Adam's federal headship. And Adam's sin was not seeing God as glorious. Adam's sin was not acknowledging God as God. And all of us were under that headship. Romans 5.12 Sin entered the world through one man. That is Adam. We moved, we changed, we went from that headship to Christ, to the headship of Jesus Christ. His righteousness was imputed to us. And, and, and what was imputed to us, the righteousness of Christ, was to see God as infinitely glorious. Christ saw God as infinitely glorious and to acknowledge God the Father in everything. John 3.38 For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. In everything I do, I acknowledge God as God. In one man's righteous life, we were all made righteous. And as we skip on ahead in chapter 9, we saw that it is more than just imputed to us. It's not, it's not, it's not just that, that, that Christ's righteousness was imputed to us and that, and that, Christ's, all, and that Christ's life of, of living righteous for God, of, of acknowledging God in everything, is imputed to us. We also see God as glorious now. We're changed. We're different. We're not the same people. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And how did God love Jacob? He loved him by showing Jacob the glory of God. He didn't love Jacob by, by making him rich 
and making Esau poor. They were both. You would see no difference in their life. The only difference was Jacob saw the birthright of Isaac as something to be desired, as something to want. He wanted that. He saw it as glorious. The ideal of being in that, that lineage, that it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he wanted that. Esau thought it was worth a bowl of soup if he begged enough. It was worthless. So, so, the, so the idea was when he loved Jacob, Jacob saw God as glorious, saw him as worthy, saw him as worthy of worship. And when Moses asked to see God's glory in Exodus 33, God said, I I will have mercy on whom have mercy. Moses wasn't asking to see God. He'd already seen God. He'd seen face to face. He was asking to see the glory of God. And so he describes what, what does it mean to see God as glorious? It is the mercy of God. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. So the one whom God has mercy on is the one whom God loves. And he loves them by showing them his glory or by allowing them to see him as glorious. Which gets us up to last week. So basically I've kind of summed up last year. and I thought it was really good in a few minutes. Kind of pull it all together. All right. So last week, we found out that, that God created everyone with a purpose. He doesn't create them and wait for the cup to choose what it would be. He doesn't create all the cups and say, well, I wonder what that was going to be. Oh, that one decided to be a vessel of honor, and that one decided to be a vessel of dishonor. It says he takes the lump of clay and he creates it for that purpose. The potter takes the clay with a purpose. It may be for honor, or it may be for dishonor. As we talked about last week, God patiently endures those vessels of dishonor. It's a burden on Him. It's hard as He endures those vessels of dishonor. And we looked at what that means, and what that means, and we saw that if righteous Lot was vexed by the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, then what does the sin and depravity of the, uh, of the world do to God's heart? He endures them in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. He endures these vessels of dishonor so that the vessels of mercy might know His glory, might see His glory that they've been prepared beforehand to see. And last week, I sort of skipped over a phrase in verse 22 that I want to come back to this week as we start off this this next section. In verse 22 of that passage, Paul said, What if God desiring to show His wrath? What if? What if God, as if he's just hypothetically saying something. And you know, there's a lot of different commentaries about this and, and comments and opinions. And wondering why. Why would Paul say it like this? What if? Is he unsure? Is that it? He's not really sure about what God's doing, so what if? Is he given an if-then statement that he fails to complete? Is that it? Is that what he's doing here? 
Or is Paul just giving a hypothetical case? Why would Paul say, what if? Because in that, he is expressing insecurity. But the insecurity is not in the actions of God. That's not what he says. Let me be be very, very clear about that. God does desire to show his wrath and to make known his his power on vessels of wrath. This is his desire. He desires to show his wrath and to make known his power on vessels of wrath. Now, his desire is not out of anger or hatred for him, but because of the zeal for his name. He desires to show this because he is zealous for his name. Much like when Jesus cleansed the temple. You know, people read that about Jesus clearing the temple, and I hear people talk about, well, he was angry at them. He did it out of anger. And you'll say, well, where do you find that? Because in my Bible, in John chapter 2, it says his motivation was not out of anger for them, it was out of zeal for his father's house. That's why he did it. He says, zeal for your house consumes me. I'm zealous for my house. That's why, that's why I cleanse the temple. What anger? So, so, there, so there's no, so that this is why he does it. So there's no insecurity about what God desires to do. Then why does Paul say, what if? He is expressing a little insecurity, but not in the actions of God, but on the identity of the vessels. You see, we don't know and can't tell whether someone is a vessel of wrath or someone is a vessel for mercy until they've drawn the very last breath. When we see someone, we can't know if that person is called to see God's glory as we've been called. We don't know that. Verse verse 24 of Romans 9, Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, that that as he has prepared us beforehand to see God's glory, we didn't know that. Because we looked like they did. Paul says it's exactly the same for both. Notice this, he puts Gentiles and Jews into the same picture, into the same plan. They're both called to see God's glory. And then he quotes Hosea. And he, and, and he speaks about a couple of the children. The second daughter and, and sort of in the last son. Paul seems to ignore the first, the oldest, son, oldest child, a son. Kind of curious, isn't it? Why would he skip over the oldest? Some of you guys might know what's coming. You know, we'll get to the oldest because it's kind of cool. But uh, uh, it's part of this too. But as Paul talks about this, he said, most, you know, and, and most of us know the story of Hosea and Gomer. If you don't, it, it, it's, it's uh, real easy to follow, real easy, short part to read. Hosea is a prophet of God, and God desiring to show his love and desiring to show his, his, his passion for Israel, his chosen bride. He sends Hosea to take a, a bride out of whoredom and take children from whoredom or prostitute. 
So, so Hosea did that and had three children with very strange names. So Hosea chapter 1, we find that the story, and he called a son, the oldest was a son, a son had the name, I will punish. Verse 4 and 5. And the Lord said, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. A daughter was next. And she is called no mercy. Verse 6 and 7. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. I mean, how would you like to be named No Mercy? I mean, honestly and truly, man, that would, you see, you've got a strange name now. What's your name? I will punish. You know? But anyway, so her name is No Mercy. For I will have no more. I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. And I will save them by bow. Or I will not save them, sorry. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. He will save them, but notice not by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses. So we have the first one, I will punish. The second one is no mercy. Karen's up here smiling, because I think she kind of knows where it's going with this, right? You kind of see the, you know, we already talked about what mercy meant. Um, and the third one is not my people. In verse 8, And when she weaned, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. So, so Paul picks up these names, and he changes them a little bit up in chapter 2, in, verse, in, in verses 25 and 26. So from this, he, we, we see this, this change taking place. And it's real exciting. In, in, in back to Romans 9, um, 25. And he indeed, as he indeed, as he indeed says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And those who are not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where, it's, where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. You know, Paul is, Paul is doing more than just quoting Hosea 2.23. And he said in that verse, and I will so and I will show, I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, and, and he shall say, You are my God. You know, and, and so as we go back and we read these verses, we put it back in the context. So here's God, and we already know. So what does it mean for God to show mercy on someone? God said, I will have mercy on. Whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And he said, There's coming a day when, when, not my, when no mercy will have mercy. When no mercy will see me as glorious. There's also a day coming when not my people will be called my people. 
and they will be called sons of the living God. But notice the beloved. Who is the beloved? So go back. And this time I encourage you to go back to Hosea. You can find it. It's one of the, the small, minor prophets. And flip to Hosea chapter 2 as we put this in context of what Paul's doing in this wonderful passage. In Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14, Paul picks up this story and talks about the beloved that 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 is who was not beloved, who should be called beloved. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, I will call her, I will love her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer in the days of her youth, and, at, and as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. You know, when we read about, about this, this the thing, I mean, sorry, read about the called no longer being vessels of wrath. We read about the, the name change from mercy, from no mercy, receive mercy. And, we, and, and, and not my people being called my people, being called sons of the living God. We know that this is because of Jesus Christ. We know that the only reason we have mercy is because of Jesus Christ. We know the only reason that we are called His people is because of Jesus Christ. We know that, 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 that this is the gospel. We know that His death is what satisfied the wrath of God. We know that. We grew up in church. We've learned this. We've known this. But this is what we need to rehearse and remind each other with. This is how we encourage and encourage one another. See, we also need to know that God desired to show His wrath and power. We also, I'm sorry, we'll go back to this again. We also need to know that God didn't desire to show His wrath and power on the vessel's dishonor only. It was not just their sins and their unrighteousness that vexed God's heart. It was not just when He looked at their sins of those others that God's heart was troubled. What about our sins and our unrighteousness? How, do, how did our sins and our unrighteousness appear to God? We find out. So what did happen to Hosea's and Gomer's oldest son? I will punish. You see, I will punish the firstborn son was the picture of our Savior. And he died at the Valley of Achor. You notice that in, in Hosea 2, 14. We have this really strange passage, this Valley of Achor, this door of hope. Some of you guys might recognize it. Most probably won't. The Valley of Achor was that place where Achan was killed. It's where he died. In Judges chapter 7. In Judges chapter 7, this is after Jericho had fallen and Achan had taken 
had, had come in and he had taken those, those things that God had told all of Israel. Do not take anything from Jericho. This is mine. It belongs to me. I own it. This is my tithe. Everything else after this you can have. But this city, this city is mine and all this in it is mine. This is the first of all the cities of the promised land. And Achan took it. He took gold from it. He took, he took possessions from it. And when God saw that, he looked in Judges 7 and said, Israel has sinned. Not Achan. God said, Israel has sinned. By one man's sin, all were made sinful. So God chose one man to pay the price. One man died for all of Israel. He took all God's wrath upon himself. By one man's sacrifice, all were justified. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. This is Judges chapter 7, verse 26. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, in the name of the place that is called the Valley of Achor or the Valley of Trouble, there's this monument. So when God poured all of his wrath, all of his anger out on one person so that all of Israel would not be cursed. And God uses Hosea to tell us that this valley of trouble where all of our sins were displayed is the door of hope because I will punish has satisfied God's wrath for us. See, the God who desires to show his wrath and power has shown them. He has shown them. And in so doing, has made known the riches of His glory for, verse, for vessels of mercy, which he, has pay, which he has prepared beforehand for glory at the Valley of Achor, which is the door of hope. God has shown all His wrath and all His power and you have, a, you have an option. You have a choice. Do you see that as on Christ, as, as that one, as the one in, in the valley of, uh, of trouble, who is the door of hope? Do you see that? Even now. See, and, and we we don't know. We look at lives and we can't tell is, is this is this a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? Is this one that God is that God desires to pour His wrath out upon? Or is this one that God desires to, 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 to show them the picture of where He did pour His wrath on so that they will see the glory of God? We don't know. We don't know. And so we offer this door of hope to everyone. We ask everyone. We plead. We, 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 we preach Christ to everyone. And we plead to God for everyone that God would show His mercy to them. Because we don't know who is the vessel of mercy and who is the vessel for wrath. And, and it should be so, so terrifying to us that, that when we think about that, that, that this, this person we know it's a vessel of wrath. I mean, the, the ideal of that for, for someone you love, that, I mean, that should, 
If nothing moves you to pray for them, what, what will? You know, what will move you to pray for them? What will move you to share Christ with them? To think about that, that vessel of dishonor who was a vessel of, of wrath. And you pray, God, speak. Speak in the heart. May they see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have mercy on them. But they would see Christ as glorious. They would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is our prayer. Because it would be our desire that there would be no one. But we know that there are those that God has prepared for dishonorable use. I just plead with the God that it's not the people I know. Not my family. I plead with God it's not my friends. I plead with God it's not my students. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna share with them Christ as long as it is today. And I pray that they would see just what just what the wrath of God looks like and just what the power of God looks like when he poured it out at that valley of Achor, that, that valley of trouble on Jesus Christ. And there opened a door of hope. Do we see that as glorious this morning?